Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Hi, everyone. It's great to see you guys back. You know, every time I see Ebby, Ebby's my auntie, yeah. but every time I see her, she comes back from Argentina looking 10 years younger. Well, she's, she's gone south of the equator and found the fountain of youth. Every time she comes back, she's younger looking. It's amazing. We missed you. I missed you. We missed you. I'm glad you're back. And it's true, we have your passports. And we're currently, we, we have a metal bin outside and we're currently burning them. And uh, yeah, scattering the ashes over the ocean. <laughs> Okay, praise the Lord. Thanks for praying, Pastor Stephen. I could do with it tonight. I might pray again if you'll lift your hands uh, uh, with me and pray with me and pray for me. Shall we do this? Let's do this. Hallelujah, Lord. Bless you, God. Thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, Lord. You have ordained it. It's not by accident that we can be here to worship you freely, to lift up the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We honor you, but only because you first loved us, Lord Jesus, when you gave yourself on that cross, when you bled and died, that we might have freedom and belonging and value. All these things are ours now because we belong to you. We used to have no name and now we have our name. Thank you, Lord. We are yours, your redeemed, beloved people. And now, God, I pray that you would just help me to bring the word you've put on my heart. I pray, Lord, that people would be encouraged and built up. Give me energy. Give me strength. Give me focus. Give me clarity. And most of all, help me to get out of my own way. In the name of Jesus, we all said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, church, it's a pleasure to be here tonight to share the word with you. And I have a title. Are you ready for the title? The title of tonight's word is Maybe the Mountain is Me. Maybe the mountain, or maybe my mountain is me, okay? Um, brackets, or if you're a millennial, hashtag, uh, your greatest barrier to blessing, okay? Now, any parents in the house tonight? Yeah, very sheepish. Are you regretting your decision? <laughs> right. I'm a young parent. I have a 16-month-old baby. Um, one of the things I love about being a parent is that I'm never short for preaching analogies. It's fantastic. So Jackson is 16 months old. I have another one on the way in October. Anyone who's ever tried to feed a baby will know where I'm going straight away with this one. You ever try and feed a baby? Things are going well the first couple of months, you know, whether it's the bottle or more natural means. The baby sort of just takes whatever you give them. Amen. They do, but you sort of, two things start to, sort of start to happen at once. You start putting them in nice, clean, fresh outfits, right? You're taking them to special places. You want to you want them to look well, amen, right? I remember, I remember this hitting me like a ton of bricks. Dressing up Jackson, beautiful, fresh clothing, and I have to feed him. He has to eat food. Babies have to eat things, okay? And they'll eat anything they can put their hands on, right? Just another warning for any would-be parents listening uh, this evening. So um, you put the baby down, you put him in his high chair, and you start feeding him, and parents, come on, what happens? You take the spoon, you start scooping it out and 
putting it towards his mouth or her mouth, what do they do? They take the spoon from you, don't they? They want to feed themselves, don't they? It's the truth. Maybe this is, these, these are like extreme flashbacks coming, hitting you right now. Babies want to feed themselves, okay? They do. So you can try and feed the baby and it'll be mm, mm, mm. And then as soon as he can get or she can get a chance, they take the spoon and they try and feed themselves. What happens when a baby tries to feed themselves? They make an unholy mess of everything. They get food everywhere except in their mouth. It's actually quite impressive. It's actually quite skillful. The way they manage to get food on the plate, on their clothes, in their hair, across their face, on the walls, which incidentally in my house are white. All sorts of things every which way. They keep getting in their own way. Right? We want to feed them good things, bless them, nourish them, give them what they need, but they seem to think they can do it better than we can as parents. And so they keep getting in their own way. Thank God we've grown out of such counterproductive behavior. Amen? Isn't it great? We've grown out of that sort of behavior, right? We're very happy to receive help now as adults. We're happy for people to come alongside us and help us with things that we can't do on our own. We've got no issue receiving help anymore as adults. It's getting very quiet in the house, right? Thank God we've grown out of that sort of behavior. Oh, the messes we've all avoided because we're no longer getting in our own way. If only that was true. If only that was true. Uh, there is an old um, Zen proverb, right, that says this. A man stands in his own shadow and wonders why it is dark. Isn't that interesting? A man stands in his own shadow and wonders why it is dark. Folks, maybe the mountain, my mountain, is me. Am I getting in my own way? Lord, help me move out of my own way so I can receive all the good things you've purposed to give me. All the promises, all the wonderful things that you've promised uh, uh, to give me that are mine in Christ, help me to get out of my own way. What if I am my worst, own worst enemy? <laughs> I know that I am my own worst enemy. Can I encourage you tonight as we go on and open God's word? He has come to save us from ourselves. He has come to contend for us. Hallelujah. He's come to contend for his precious promises that he's spoken out over our lives. He's come to make sure that we will not be a barrier to blessing in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? Now, come on, let's turn to Genesis 32, uh, verses 22 um, to 31. It's a very familiar story. Uh, as you turn there, I'm going to take a sip of water. Genesis 32, um, verses 22 to 31. Excuse me, 32, verses 22 to 31. 
We know the story. It's a very familiar story. It is the story of a wrestling match. Who likes wrestling here? I know Jerry Doyle loves wrestling. Right. It is the story of a wrestling match. The patriarch, patriarch Jacob, we read it as we pick up the story here, um, is, is on the run from his brother Esau. Anyone who knows Jacob's story knows that before he even came out of his mother Rebecca's womb, there was a prophetic words spoken over his life. He was one of two. His brother being Esau means hairy. Incidentally, my dad used to call my little brother Esau because he was hairy. Peter, if you're watching, sorry, but it's the truth, right? But the prophecy that God spoke that was spoken over these two twins as they sort of wrestled in the womb was that the younger would be served by the older. The younger would be served by the older. This was culturally crazy because of something called primogeniture. The older sibling was always due to get the lion's share of the father's inheritance, okay? So that was the way it was supposed to go. And so Jacob comes out of his mother's womb, right? Esau first, and Jacob comes out grabbing the heel of Esau. So he's called Jacob, and Jacob means supplanter. Jacob means, um, it can mean deceiver, actually, supplanter, one who reaches out to take things, okay? And isn't it funny, folks, the power of labels? When you're labeled, particularly young, when the people who are supposed to love you and care for you maybe label you or begin to speak things over your life, it has power over your behavior. And I want to tell you right now, if you're living under the power of labels, Jesus Christ is here to break that and to give you a new name. We're going to read it later on in the passage. But that was Jacob's story. Jacob stole his brother's blessing and his brother's birthright. Esau had reason to be upset with him. And um, his wife, his um, mother, Rebecca, actually had to send uh, Jacob to his uncle Bethuel's house, okay? And there he had to get a wife from a guy called Laban, right? Who was his mother's brother, okay? And he, had to, he was sort of on the run as well. So he was on the run and on the hunt for a wife, okay? And that's what led him to a place called Padaram, out and away from his home of Canaan. And so there, right, having landed there because of deception and scheming and lying and trying to get an inheritance that God had promised him, but he was still trying to get it in his own strength. What happens? Well, he gets into the school of hard knocks. Laban, the Bible says, spent the next 20 years deceiving Jacob, even tricked him. Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel, Laban's daughter. And the night after the wedding, Jacob wakes up to see that it's Leah, uh, Laban's older daughter and not Rachel. I'd be upset. Would you be upset? Seven years is a long time. Makes me think Jacob might have had a bit too much at the reception as well. But that's just, that's just conjecture. So Jacob wakes up next to the wrong woman. Now the Bible says that he loved Rachel so much that it was nothing for him to serve another seven years. And so he ended up, ended up marrying them both. And he had children by both the sisters, right? And their handmaidens, okay? But for 20 years, Laban had him under the thumb. 
changing his wage ten times. Jacob, up until this point, everything that he'd gotten in life, he'd gotten by deceits. He'd had to earn it or lie for it. Every bit of the inheritance that he had, everything had come through scheming and conniving and all that sort of thing. And then he gets to a point where he leaves Laban's house and he hears word, having sent word to Esau that he wants to pass through the land of Edom on the way home. He hears word that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. That does not sound like the kind of welcome party I'd be interested in sort of, you know, meeting. 400 men. That was Jacob's situation here. And so I want to read from verse um, 22 and then I'm going to sort of give some context and we'll jump in. Whatever time we have left, um, we'll do that. So verse 22 The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Amen. What an amazing account. What an amazing story. A wrestling match, a fight that lasted the entire night long. And Jacob leaving very much a different man after the encounter that he had just had. But before we get into it, I want to sort of show you Jacob's situation here. Because we've been talking about the context a little bit. Jacob, Jacob had been trying to sort of save himself his entire life. We've been covering all that kind of thing. He's been doing all that kind of thing. And basically what he did in in the beginning part of 32 is that he concocted a plan, okay? There's a couple of Ps. Um, If you'll bear with me, I want to show you here. I want to show you very quickly the panic, the plot, the promise, the prayer, and the present. I want to show you these things, right, from 32. I want to show you sort of what Jacob is up to, right? And then we're going to get into to the word here. It's important. I'm painting this picture so we can fully understand what's going on. So I want to look in verse 7. Jacob hears that Esau's coming to find him, okay? And what does he say? It's right here in verse 7 of 32. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, okay? That's the panic, all right? And then here's the plot. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, right? And into verse 8 too, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So there's a panic. 
Something comes and hits Esau's, hits Jacob's life, and his first instinct, right, is to panic and then to scheme. Right, I'm going to split my camp into two. That's what I'm going to do. So if Esau comes and attacks one and and they perish, well, maybe one will last. He does that, but then look at verse 9. Look at what happens here. And Jacob said, Oh God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. There's a promise there that Jacob remembers, okay? He remembers that, yes, okay, God, you have promised things to me. Yes, you're, you're, you're the God of eight. You've blessed my, my father, my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac. And you told me that you'll get me to my country to bless me there. Look here at verse 12. He says this as well. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So he's remembering the promises too. He's remembering, oh God, you're going to bless me and you're going to multiply my lot in this life. You're going to make me fruitful. Okay? But here in verse 11... He decides that, yes, God's made these promises to me in my life. Uh, I'm going to ask you, God, to deliver me. Deliver me from the hand of my brother and the hand of Esau. um, Because I fear that he may attack me and the mothers with the children. Okay? But he, he figures out this. He says this to himself. Okay, God, I'm afraid. I want you to help me. I need you to deliver me. But I'm going to scheme something a little bit up here. I'm going to cook something up. So he stayed there at the night. And what did he do? He came up with a present for his brother. He came up with 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And these he handed over to his servants, okay? And he sent this gift out in three waves. And his thinking was this. If Esau sees this gift, every time he sees children and, and my, my, my wives and, and all this cattle, this is somehow going to soften him towards me. This is going to somehow soften him. So we need to see what Jacob is doing here. Yes, I'm trusting God. Yes, I'm praying. Yes, I'm remembering the promises. But functionally, in reality, I'm still trying to save myself. I'm relying on me. And here's the thing, folks. I want you to see this. God had promised that he would multiply Jacob. But Jacob was was literally sending his family to be a human shield ahead of him. So talk about getting in the way of a blessing. Talk about standing in the way of what God wanted to do through his life. God is saying, I'm I'm going to bless you through your family. I'm going to multiply you. And Jacob is so afraid so unwilling to fully trust God that he's literally sending his family potentially to be slaughtered. Folks, it's amazing how self-destructive we can be, how guilty of self-sabotage we can be. We can click into a mode where we do everything we can to try and bail ourselves out of whatever is coming towards us in life. And we can get in our own way. God wants to bless us, prosper us, do great things if we would just step out of the way a little bit. And where does it leave you? Where does this sort of thing leave you? Jacob literally had pushed his own family away. He literally pushed his loved ones away. Well, folks, it leaves you alone, doesn't it? 
That sort of self-salvific behavior, that kind of self-sabotage will always leave you alone. When we fight for ourselves, it always seems to be at the expense of the people around us. It does. There's something about it. And so he's left alone in verse 24. He's isolated. Maybe that's you tonight. Yes, God's promised things over my life, but I've sort of been working it out in my own strength. I've been trying to make this thing happen on my own. I've been trying to bail myself out or whatever. Have I robbed myself of the future? God has promised me through my own self-sabotage. Have I done that? Have I pushed everyone away? There's a quote or a, a song lyric from a song uh, by U2. I don't really like U2, apart from the classics, but everyone likes the classics, right? But uh, there is a lyric here from a song called Get Out of Your Own Way. And it says this, Blessed are the arrogant, or blessed are the arrogant, for theirs is the kingdom of their own company. That's an interesting lyric, isn't it? When we rise up that way to do what only God can do, we find ourselves in our own company. See, his actions pushed everybody the other direction, away from him. Everybody. But those same actions drew Jesus towards him. Those same actions drew Jesus towards him. And I want you to hear something tonight, because I know God is saying this to somebody. You can't push me away. You can't push me away. I have come to contend with you for the sake of the promises that I've made over your life. See, he was about to get alone with God. He was by himself, but he wasn't alone. Right? Getting alone with God. I want to talk a little bit about this right now, folks. Getting alone with God, it can happen by choice, okay? Either our conscious choice or the result of wrong choices. But either way, we can find ourselves alone with God. But I want to encourage you, listen, God will always bring us back to the place where we can find freedom from ourselves. In his presence. It's in his presence. So whether you're at a place, whether you're in isolation today, because you've pulled, you've, you've, you've come aside, come apart to be with the Lord, or whether you're on your own today because your actions, listen folks, sin is antisocial. God is relational, sin is antisocial. When we, when we move in our own strength, the result is always that sort of isolation. So either way, if you're isolated, I want you to know God is on the way. There's an encounter that is coming. God wants an encounter with you in your life. He wants you to, he's ready, he's coming to fight you for you, amen? Listen to this quote by C.H. McIntosh. He said, to be left alone with God is the only true way of arriving at a just knowledge of ourselves and our ways. No matter what we think about ourselves or what others may think about us, the great question is, what does God think about us? What does God think about us? At the darkest point, Jesus came to answer Jacob's prayer for deliverance. At the darkest moment, Jesus came to deliver Jacob from his actual enemy. Remember Jacob prayed that prayer? 
He threw that prayer up. He had his plans and his plots and his presence. Oh, save me, Lord, from Esau. Listen, Esau was just a symptom. Jacob, you drew Esau on you through your own behavior, your own antisocial behavior, your own scheming and silliness drew this situation onto yourself. God saved me from my real enemy. And he's standing in an isolated place and Jesus comes to answer the prayer. I'm not coming to deliver you from Esau. I'm coming to deliver you from your actual enemy, you. I'm coming to fight you for you. I'm coming to wrestle you because you are what is in your way. Jacob, you are what is in your way. You have sent your family across the river Jabbok, putting them at risk when they are the very thing I said I'll bless you through. You are in your own way, but I am coming. I'm on the way. I'm coming to you. I will not let you be the reason why you don't walk in the blessings and in the promises I have for you. I will not let you be the reason. And so I'm coming to fight you for you. I won't let you get in your own way. I won't let you get in your own way. Look at verse 24. A man wrestled him. That's what the scriptures say. He didn't pick the fight. God picked the fight. Jacob wasn't looking for a fight, but God picked the fight. And here's this wonderful picture of a Christophany. That's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament before the incarnation. A man comes to fight with Jacob. A man comes to wrestle with this patriarch. And I want you to look at verse 24. It says the fight lasted all night. All night. Amazing. Folks, listen to me. God will contend with you, but he'll do it gently and mercifully because that's who he is. In other words, the man, God, pulled his punches. He pulled his punches gently. And it's so funny, isn't it? The way the Holy Spirit comes to us to gently speak, gently chide us, gently lead us, gently touch, the, touch, point at those areas in love mercifully. And we always resist. I'm, a, I'm the biggest rebel in this room right now. I always resist. I always resist. It's awful. But it's true of every last one of us. Every last one of us. So the man pulls his punches. Patiently, graciously strives with Jacob. But verse 25 is where I want to park for a little bit, folks. Because the Bible says, When the day began to break and the man saw that he couldn't win against Jacob, he reached out and touched his hip and moved it out of place. Now, when you look at that word in the Hebrew, when you look at the original language, it actually says that it was the most gentle of touches and it shattered Jacob's hip completely. It shattered it completely. So all of a sudden, it's as if this man sort of pulls, pulls the, sh like, you know, Clark Kent's it a bit, just and touches him and there's something divine 
that touches Jacob in his flesh and it takes, it, it moves something, shatters something, breaks something forever. Sometimes things will come into our lives divinely that will shatter things that we're leaning on because God wants our complete dependence. They'll come. They'll come. I want you to consider the Apostle Paul with me with whatever time we have left. I want you to consider the Apostle Paul with me. Look at 2 Corinthians verse 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me or buffet me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. You know, some translations actually say that that was a thorn in his side. I like that. I think I'll use it for the purpose of this illustration. That God, a thorn in his side. Okay, follow me, right? In the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, God, Paul, Paul gave a long list of things that God had delivered him from. Delivered him from persecutions, from, from the Jews, from shipwreck, all sorts of things that God had delivered him from. And then Paul goes on to talk about the revelations that he'd received, how he'd been taken up to the third heaven 14 years earlier. And then he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh. So in other words, what I'm saying is this. God allowed something into Paul's life to deliver him from himself. From the pride that would have kept him from receiving grace from God. The, the, the haughtiness, the conceit, the pride that would have put Paul in his own way. It would have made Paul a barrier to blessing in his own life. So the Lord, it's, and it says it here, it says that I was given. In verse 7, I was given a thorn in my side. And that word, torment, actually means to buffet. But it's, what it suggests is a wave, a, a wave of the ocean hitting against the wall. So this thing is in my life. It's come, it's touched my life and it's there and it's there to stay and I've wrestled with God. I've asked him to take it from me. I've asked him to release me from it, but it's still here and it's hitting off of me and it's done something to me. It's weakened me. It's done something in my life, to my life. But it's only that I might have a victory that I might have deliverance from myself, that I might have an experience of grace so that grace might flow, power, anointing, promise might flow through my life, to and through my life. A.W. Tozer said this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. I want you to encounter my grace. I want you to walk in my blessing. So I'm letting this cross into your life. I'm letting this difficult thing into your life. It's not to harm you. It's that through it, there might be a release or a greater manifestation of grace. I love this quote. 
by a man called Alan Redpath. It says, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible person and crushes him. Have you ever been referred to as impossible? Ever? You know, yet another Jackson, James analogy. Um, Laura and I hate brushing his teeth because he hates having his teeth brushed. He doesn't like it. So when I come to him initially, I always start gently. I start gently with him, I hold him, and I try and gently brush his teeth, just, you know, on the off chance that he won't resist me. But he always resists me. And we end up wrestling on my carpet. But I have a finishing move. I have a finishing move, right? Anyone who knows pro wrestling knows about finishing moves. This is what I do, right? I haven't named it. Maybe you can help me. He's sort of lying this way. Um, his head is between my legs. He's facing outward. I take my two legs and I lie on his arms like this. I use my strength, or at least my weight. I use my weight, right? My whole weight to pin him down so that I can give him something that he needs. My whole weight, my whole strength, so that I can give him what he needs. And he really doesn't like it. He really, really doesn't like it. And when I'm done, he's very upset and he's barely able to walk to his mother. And he's actually quite upset for a while and at me. And the older he gets, the more he sorts of, he kind of throws me faces. I've seen him before in the face of his mother. He throws me faces. Do you know that sort of thing? Do you see what I'm saying? This is how God deals with us. This is how he does. God brings crosses into our lives to cancel us out. I want you to think about a cross. Crosses into our lives to cancel us out. Listen to this. George Matheson, Scottish preacher, who was born blind, expressed this prayer. My God, I have never thanked you for my thorn. I have thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorn. I've been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensated for my cross. But I've never thought of my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me, to be, teach me the value of my thorn. Teach me the value because it is a gateway to grace in your life. It's what it is. It's why it's there. I want to encourage you with that tonight. This is all to bring us to submission. It's all to bring us to humility. It's all to bring us to weakness so that we're ready to receive grace. So that we're ready to receive grace. I want to finish by looking here in verse 26, 27. How do I receive from God? How do I receive from the Lord? I've been in my own way. I've been, above, I've been a barrier to blessing in my own life. Well, there's power in humility, in submission and in honesty. That's how we receive from God. It's an honest moment with God. That's what Jacob has, an honest moment with the Lord. See, when it says, when it says in the scriptures, it says, um, the man says, let me go for the day is broken, right? Christ, God. What he's actually saying is tap out. Tap out. 
Let me go. This is over. You've lost. I've touched your hip. You've lost. Let me go. And what I love is this. Jacob, Jacob turns around and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I want you to consider this. Jacob, for the first time, is looking into the face of one who could have crushed him, who could have used the full power that was at his disposal to crush him. And yes, may have touched an area in his life, but still showed him great mercy. Didn't crush him, but showed him mercy. And that display of mercy humbled him and emboldened him at the same time. It humbled him and emboldened him to ask, I want you to bless me. For the first time in Jacob's life, he saw the face of one who would give blessing. I don't have to take it anymore. I don't have to be Jacob anymore. I don't have to reach out and, and, and scheme my way to blessing anymore. I, I found the approval I didn't see in the face of my father Isaac. I found the love I was looking for in the face of my wife Rachel. I found all the acceptance I'll ever need in your face. Here is blessing in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory here is blessing. I believe God only you can bless me. If you'll be merciful to me for all I've done, only you can bless me. And what does God say to him? What is your name? That's an honest moment. What is your name? What is your name? Jacob. Jacob is my name. This is my functional identity. I'm a usurper. I'm a supplanter. This is who I really am. This is who I really am. I'm not pretending. I'm not dressing it up. Listen, for any who will receive it, I believe humility is more powerful, more potent before God than devotion is. God, this is who I really am. I'm willing to talk this way with you, Lord. And what does God say to him? You are Jacob no longer. Your past Everything you've done, all the labels that you've been living under, everything that's motivated you thus far, I'm taking it away because only I can. I'm taking it away. You're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. Israel means God prevails. So Jacob, you're no longer, you no longer have to strive or work for it. All the time that you've been fighting and striving and wrestling to get things for yourself, my promises have been over your life and God prevails. You see, when you lose, Jacob, that's when you win. Jacob, you, it's okay to lose. It's okay not to fight. It's okay not to strive. You can go from wrestling to resting. You don't have to wrestle. My word over your life will prevail. You've been fighting for yourself. All this time I've been fighting for you. And my word has prevailed. I have, you, I'm not, I'm not, I don't look at any of what you were or any of the labels or your opinion of yourself that's bound you in this sort of behavior. I'm telling you my opinion. Remember that quote? 
When we get alone with God, we get an opportunity to hear what he thinks about us. You are no longer Jacob. You're no longer Jacob. And it ends here. What does Jacob say? He goes, well, what's your name? What the liberty. Isn't it amazing? When you get back, when you get a look, when God is finished with you, you're so centered in the gospel again that it's all about who he is and it's no longer about who you are, who you were, where you've been, what you've done, all of that. You're just centered in on Christ. Who are you? Tell me who you are. And what I love is that Jacob walks out of that engagement in his identity. It's God's identity, right? I, that he doesn't have to win anymore. He's walking this out. Like John says in 1 John, he says that anyone who, uh, who names Christ ought to walk in the way that he walks. So Isaac, Jacob walks out of this situation different. He has a new identity and he's able to go low. I don't have to win anymore. I can receive from God by being humble, by being honest. I can get grace from the Lord. I don't have to scheme. I don't have to win. I can walk in humility. I can walk in dependency. And I will always come out on top. I'll always come out on top. I'm resting now, Lord. Resting. Isn't it amazing, folks? That when God is finished with you, this is where you end up. And I want to just end here, for real this time. Verse 13, 31. It's a life transformed by the power of the gospel, folks. God has visited me, come to me, but not to give me what I deserved. To give me grace, mercy, to fulfill his promise to me, to deal with the parts of me I could never deal with on my own. I'm walking with a limp, but my steps have never been more secure. The beauty of the picture, folks, at the end, it talks about the sun rising, a new dawn. The sun rose upon Jacob as he left Penuel. A new dawn, a new Jacob, post-breakthrough, as he moved from and not toward an encounter with God, his dependency was on the cross. Isn't it amazing? Leaning in his flesh, leaning on something other than his own strength. And when you go to the book of Hebrews in 11, it says that he leaned on that same staff when he looked and saw all that God did to preserve many lives through his son Joseph. It's funny, isn't it? The joy that comes from dependency, the grace that flows through our lives. You know, I'm not there yet. I'm not always that thankful for the thorns in my life. Not always. But there's grace for that as well. There's grace for that as well. And in my moments of isolation, when my antisocial behavior has left me alone, I've learned to expect him to come because he won't let me be the mountain that keeps me from blessing in my own life. Thanks for listening, church. Praise the Lord. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.